Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. So this month, we're going to be using this book called Learned Optimism by Martin Seligman. And the reason I picked it is for two reasons. One, it presents the idea of optimism in a way that you can actually work on it if you want. You can take action and improve, if you choose, your idea of optimism. But more than that, it also has some of the leading age brain science around why optimism works, what it does. So it, it combines, I think, both the spiritual element and some good science. But if we're going to talk about optimism, of course, a good place to start is always a joke. And actually, this joke is important because I think it'll tell you a problem with optimism. Here we go. A pessimist and an optimist are attending a party on the roof garden of a 100-story building in Los Angeles. Suddenly, the big earthquake hits. The building shakes violently. The two men tumble over the edge, falling from the top. Well, the pessimist as you can imagine, is having a particularly horrible time on the way down. Every floor as it goes by, he says, oh my God, only 99 floors to live. And then, oh my God, only 98 (laughs) floors to live and so on. But the optimist has a smile that just gets broader by the second on his face. As he passes each floor, he says, well, so far so good. And, and isn't that the problem with optimism? Now, I'm a pretty optimistic guy, and occasionally I even get feedback about it. Now, sometimes people are like, wow, I, I love your attitude. I mean, it's great that you're up all the time. But you know what? I get a fair amount of feedback, too, that says that I do that at the expense of reality. <laughs> well, maybe in one of my Sundays we'll talk about that, whether reality is such a good thing or not. Because <laughs> I think that one even might be up for grabs. Maybe we ought to look at it as so-called reality. But before we talk about optimism, I think I want to address that issue in particular. Are optimists ignoring the facts? Are people that have that sunny disposition choosing to look at the sunny things when the reality is something darker? All right, I got a test for you. We'll see how we do. I'm going to read a few statements, and I want you all to think about them. Think about these as to whether or not they're factual, okay? By almost any measure, the world is better now than it ever has been. People are living longer, healthier lives in all corners of the globe. Extreme poverty rates have been cut in half in just the last 25 years. Child mortality is at an all-time low in the world. Many nations that were aid recipients in recent years are now entirely self-sufficient. Incomes and other measures of human welfare have risen steadily almost everywhere. 
The global picture of poverty has completely been redrawn. Personal incomes in Turkey and Chile are where the United States was only a few years ago. Malaysia is nearly there, as is Gabon. The previous gap between the rich and poor countries of the world has been filled in by China, India, Brazil, and others with strong middle classes. Since 1960, China's real income per person has gone up eightfold. India's has quadrupled, Brazil's has quintupled, and even the small countries in Africa, often seen as poverty-stricken, such as Botswana, has seen an increase in incomes of 30-fold. If this trend continues, by 2035, there will be almost no countries left in the world of poverty. So what do you think? Do you believe me? (laughs) That's what I thought. A little bit of a mixed bag. You know, I pulled these right out of Bill and Melinda Gates's World Aid Foundation's newsletter for 2014. And they are actually all verifiable facts. But why do we not feel that way? Why do we feel that the world is kind of, well, I don't know, how they say, gone to hell in a handbasket? Why do we feel that there's more crime than ever before? Why do we feel uh, that, that poverty is maybe more common rather than less common? Well, I have some theories, but I also have some facts, so we'll go for the facts today. <laughs> First of all, our brain is actually wired that way. I know, it's hard to believe, but our brain is actually wired to listen for, pick up, and remember negativity. Studies done in the 1960s and the 1970s showed some real interesting information about brain science. They showed people both pictures and symbols and words that would be, for most people, considered negative, and then they showed uh, another group of people pictures that by and large would be considered positive. And what they discovered was people's brains, they're, they're doing brain scans while this is going on, people's brains lit up like a Christmas tree around the negativity. People found it easier to remember, retain, and even even extrapolate from the negative information for, for some period of time. The positive information, in many cases, not stored in our brain in an easily accessible way at all. It's though everything we were told that was positive, well, if it's there somewhere, I've kind of minimized it or forgotten about it. But boy, the negative items, they are there. Now, it might stagger you to notice that they actually even came up with a ratio. It's five to one. We are five times more likely to remember, retain, and be able to uh, actually recite back negative information than we are positive information. It's as though... The positive information, for whatever reason, just kind of floats in and floats out again. Well, they did come up with some, um, I guess I would say, conclusions or reasons behind this. Because on the surface, it sounds just a little bit scary, right? Why should we be remembering the negative stuff and not so much the positive stuff? Come to find out the parts of our brain that are doing this work are the parts left over from centuries ago 
when we lived in tribal societies trying to get our food and our living out in a natural world that was very hostile. And so it was very important for us to notice firsthand what things that you eat are good and to remember really well <laughs> what things you eat that are not so good. It was really important to notice which animals were the one that would chase you or, or cause you harm versus the ones uh, that really didn't matter. It was really important, in short, for our survival to latch on to negative memories, negative things, threatening situations, so that we, above all, could remember even years later and avoid them. So, so I guess, in a way, it's not surprising then that some of those leftover things are still in our head. What is surprising, though, is perhaps the impact, that five to one uh, power of our brain to remember, retain, and recite the negative instead of the positive. Along the same time, actually a little after that, these studies were mostly done in the, in the 70s and 80s, and some other brain uh, science studies were done in the 90s around advertising, right? Because don't you have the feeling that maybe what a lot of what you read in the newspaper is also a little on the negative side? Well, the study, <laughs> Nancy's going, that's minimizing it, yeah. Well, and you're right, Nancy. The study showed that 90%... 90% of what you read in the media, whether it be the newspaper, whether it be magazines, whether it be uh, uh, even social media today, because uh, they did a follow-up on some of the studies a little bit with social media, what gets around all of those things at a rate of 90%, it's the negative. It's true, we pass around pictures of adorable kittens as well, <laughs> but what really catches our attention the reason we buy the magazine, have you ever noticed the magazines they have at the checkout, at the checkout aisle at, at the supermarket? The reason that those are there is because they sell. We'll see the outrageously bizarre headline of who did what to whom or who said something naughty or whatever and almost irresistibly we're drawn in a bit and they sell a lot of those magazines. What can we do about this? I hope you're a little bit scared. I mean, if you're not scared, maybe you're not paying attention. <laughs> do you know what I mean? This is disturbing to me because what it tells me is we can think that we're simply dealing with reality, but what we're dealing with is a skewed five to one version of reality. So when we're having a good day, that day has to be five times better for us to perceive it as good. When we notice uh, newspaper articles that are uplifting, when we notice great things out in the world, we're having an amazing day in our brain because it means we've put aside five remembrance of things rotten or potentially harmful or troublesome in order to really seize in and focus on that one thing that was lovely and marvelous. So do you see why uh, we're gonna talk about optimism this whole month? Do you see why a lot of people might think, well, we're just gonna do this Pollyanna thing of ignoring what's real. It's because we no longer know what is real. 
We focus in on the 80 to 90% of the negativity. Our brain holds on to it because that's what it's made to do. That's what it's best at doing. And so, despite even the facts that I read you, it's probably not what you're going to hear. What you're going to hear from your neighbors in the news media or the, the buses that overturn. You're going to hear the houses that caught fire. All of these things that will sell newspapers, that will be easy to pass on from person to person and remember, and instead, the reality is out there somewhere. I just want to give you just a few more examples because this is really endemic. So who, who recently was uh, following the story about the jet that got lost? That, that's, yeah, right, okay. Now, has that been passed around enough or what? And I want to tell you, so first of all, there are the facts of it, and I don't know actually whether we'll end up finding out about the facts of it, you know, how it happened and things like that, but I will tell you one thing. One of the things that we do as human beings is when we're presented with a story, we come to a conclusion, and there is a whole world of people out there who have made conclusions about this air flight, and among them are that air travel just isn't safe. They can lose a whole plane. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sharon's thinking, yeah, in fact, maybe I should cancel that flight, right? <laughs> but do you know, the trouble with this is, even if that, even if the facts of this particular case were known, the trouble with that conclusion is, Air travel is still the safest means of travel on the planet. And that's the part of the story that they don't tell you. Not too long ago, uh, outside of Oregon City, there was an article, uh, a terrible article, about a bus that overturned and, and some school children were injured and, and that was splashed around. And then there were the, the articles in the, uh, uh, what do they call them, the opt-ed section around how, well, maybe our school children aren't safe going to school in buses and maybe some alternatives. And again, the trouble is we're missing the context. Once again, do you know how often children are injured by their own parents driving them to school? It is something like 300 times more likely that a child will be injured in their own family car than they are in a school bus, right? But that doesn't make it to the papers. That isn't something we pass around, you know? We pass around the grim little details, the, the horror, the juiciness of the school bus overturning. I want to suggest to you that before we can actually talk about optimism, and this entire month we're going to be talking about optimism, but before we can go there, we need to get a handle on reality. And so I'm going to set you up with a little bit of homework, and I hope you're willing to do it this week. This week, I would like you, as bad news comes to you, whether you're you know, listening to a radio station or a TV station, um, whether you follow the news on the internet or just are around the water cooler at work and someone gives you the latest story. What was the latest one I was reading yesterday? Someone slipped a bear cub into a petting zoo. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I love your expression, Sharon. And, <laughs> and now they're talking about rabies and euthanizing the poor bear cub and the children they're going to have tested. One thing I want you to ask is, is it even true? Turns out this story wasn't even true. 
Is everyone familiar with Snopes on, on the internet? You know, a few years ago, the, the most uh, funny thing was happening, just a few years ago, when some of us, and myself included, were a little a less sophisticated, shall we say, the practitioners and, and us ministers would pass around to each other and other ministers and practitioners these horrible stories of, of tragedy and woe, and we'd be praying for people across the world in the most dire situations, and they weren't even real. They were scams on the internet. Snopes is lovely because if, if you read about something that just seems too weird to be true, too good to be true, too awful to be true, probably isn't true. And they can, you can look it up on there and before you pass it on to your friend, at least you have verified whether it's just a, made, a totally made up story. The other thing that happens in, in the more bona fide newspapers and magazines is they get things all wrong all the time. And what they do is they print a retraction on page 43 in little print a few, a few issues later, right? So you've got, when the story is really fresh and gory, before they've had time to figure out all the details, that's what you get. And then, of course, they've reported something that's wrong or awful or that needs to be cleaned up or there's a bigger context to it, and they fix it later on page 43 <laughs> in the tiny, tiny print. So we owe it to ourselves. First of all, I think that when that negative story comes our way, when we hear about this, this horrible thing that's happened, first of all, is it true? Is it even just true? The second thing I would ask everyone to take a look is what is the larger what is the larger context of this? You know, lately in the Portland area, we've been reading a lot about home fires. Have you noticed that in the newspaper lately? A lot of stories of, of homes and apartment buildings and things like that have caught on fire. It makes me wonder if I'm safe in my own home. Do you know what I mean? Just a little bit? Do you worry maybe about the wiring in your walls? Do you worry a little bit about candles that get overturned and things like that? Have you noticed, though, almost all the stories will even tell you that the source of the fire is yet to have been determined. How helpful is that? <laughs> It's not helpful at all. If I'm thinking back into the olden days when I had to learn from the negativity so that I wouldn't make the same mistake, well, then that article is totally worthless because I don't know what to avoid. And in fact, I want to suggest to you that homes are the safest they've ever been since the creation of the cave. Uh, we live in a fairly modern home. You couldn't burn our house down. It's like the siding is a, is a cement composite, as is nearly all modern construction. The, the roof is fireproof. The, the studs in the wall are made of metal. It's sheetrock, which is fire retardant. It's like you could go in there with a, you know, one of those blow torches, and, and you'd be hard-pressed to set most modern homes and apartment buildings on fire. But is that the impression you get? See, we have reached conclusions. We have heard things that we thought were facts, and we've put them in our own context. We've personalized them largely through fear. Largely, we've looked at the reported facts, made conclusions that we're not safe, that our children are in danger, that I gotta really watch out for personal safety, I probably need new locks on my door, the, the car is, is top-heavy and it's probably gonna roll. I was, I was reading about my sweet electric car the other day and crash tests and things like that, and what I came away with was, I need a bigger context. 
cars have never been safer on the planet than they are right now. But the media, your friends even, will pick the one or two things that are wrong and play them like a symphony. The, the few things that we find that go haywire, that go wrong, that are dangerous, those are the things that will be reported. Why? Because, thank you, because it sells newspapers. A recent study showed that it isn't because the newspapers want to report bad things, although I think by and large they've, they've trained reporters now to uh, s- certainly to play up the negative angle, but the studies that they did showed that we buy it more if it has negative content in it. That especially on the cover of a magazine or a newspaper, if, if it has words like war and terrorists and trouble and, and things like that, we are actually three times more likely to buy that than we are if it, if it said something like, you know, world safety records surpassed. <laughs> See, you're even laughing because, because, because it's true, isn't it? If you saw something, which in your mind you would just think of as, well, like a sweet little thing, would you buy a magazine around it? Okay, okay. God bless you then. Because most people won't. Most people will go for the magazine or the newspaper that has something more inflammatory on it. It's true. Okay, so back to our homework for just a second. Do you remember what it was? This week, when people bring us negative stories, when we notice uh, problems with the world, when, when something happens or we see it on uh, Fox News or whatever it is, someone reports something rotten or terrible or scary, first of all, we're going to ask ourselves, is it even true? Is it even true or is a slant being put on it or have they not done the complete job of getting the whole story? And the second part of it is, what conclusions have you reached? What's that bigger context? Because there was the fire, are you worried about fire? Do you even know how unlikely it is anymore for a house to catch on fire? When you hear about the school bus that overturns, do you have the context of context of, of safety issues around school buses? Or do you simply feel like, wow, my kids maybe aren't safe? We, and in particular in the Portland area, are at an all-time low for crimes against people. Since the days of which crimes began being reported, Crime has never been lower. Now, this is interesting, too, in particular because in the beginning, people tended not to report crimes. So in the beginning, in the Portland metropolitan area, there were never any rapes. Now, I find that hard to believe, but the reason was many crimes against people, in particular rape and domestic violence, simply weren't reported. Nowadays, though it's not 100% perfect, most of them, at least, are reported, and yet... Our crime statistics right now are lower than when they first started being reported. We have never been safer on the planet than we are right now, right here in River City. Safer than when I was a child and we didn't lock our front doors. Safer than when I was a teenager and my parents would just give me the car keys and say, go have fun. Well, they were maybe a little foolish, I have to admit that. (laughs) But truly, the safety of ourselves and our children right here in Portland, never safer 
These are the facts. This isn't me ignoring the facts. This is me helping us to understand the reality. We're going to save optimism for some weeks to come. So what can you look forward to in the next couple weeks? First of all, we're going to learn more about how optimism helps us to be happier, healthier, and even wealthier. We're going to explore some how-to methods for shifting our balance of perception so that we can more readily evaluate something. Well, wait a minute. Is this real? Is this accurate? Should I make a conclusion based on this? We'll also get some better tools for managing our self-talk. Have you noticed that you're often even more pessimistic about yourself? You'll notice some little thing that didn't go well, some interchange that perhaps you've initiated that went poorly, uh, maybe a, a job that didn't work out, and the first person we nail and blame and hold bizarrely count, accountable for is right here. And then we keep the memory alive by saying, oh God, it's probably going to happen on the next job. The next time I call her, I bet I stumble as well. I bet I totally look like a fool when I get up. Right? We're going to learn how to deal with that as well. All right, so you know your homework. I'm going to end with a quote from this lovely book called Earned, uh, Learned Optimism and a Course of Prayer. If you use the techniques of this book, you will be able to begin choosing to raise your everyday level of optimism. You should find yourself reacting to the normal setbacks of life much more positively and bouncing back from life's large defeats more briskly than ever before. You should achieve more also on the job, in school, and on the playing field. And in the long run, you will be happier. Let us pray. There is one presence, one power, one joy, one life. I know it is that goodness of the, of the universe, that sweetness and perfection that is God. And because I am created in God's image, I know that means me too. I know that the reality of my life is that goodness of God, that the love, the sweetness, the joy, the peace, all of these things, all of these promises of the divine are mine mine to experience and as it is true for me I know it is true for each person in this room each person here has that capacity for seeing the good and the real in their lives of putting aside negativity that isn't even if it isn't even true of putting aside the the false beliefs and false knowledge planted by others or or putting things uh, in their proper context understanding the the safety and the love and the life that is God in each life in this room i'm simply grateful in advance for seeing optimism as a causative force i'm grateful for this I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, 
You can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.